Let's pray. Lord God, we once again thank you for this day and for all that you've given us, for the very breath that we breathe, Lord God, for the way you provide for us as a church and as individuals. We thank you so much, and we, may we understand how blessed we truly are for knowing you and, and being provided for. And Lord God, we ask this morning as we open your word that you would speak powerfully to us, that you would speak to us as your word is read and proclaimed. And you would just comfort us, Lord God, encourage us, challenge us, convict us where we need to be convicted of and in so that we might glorify you, that we might grow closer to you. And we ask this, Lord God, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Open your Bibles up to John chapter 20. We are going to conclude our the the chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 31. And there's three things that I want to emphasize from from John's appearance narrative here as he talks about how Jesus appears to the disciples and then to Thomas. I want to point out three things, and you can write these down or, or just remember them because we're going to highlight them as I read the text and, and talk about it, and then also when we pull some application. And those three things are peace, belief, and testify, or witnessing. So peace, belief, and testify. Those are going to be the three things that John highlights in the appearances here in chapter 20, and then also when we have some application, we're going to see how that applies to us. So again, peace, belief, and testify. So with that said, let's go ahead and read the story now, starting in verse 19. And verse 19 gives us a little, sets the setting, I should say. It gives us a setting of what's going on. Let's read that first. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, so just let me stop there for a second. So this day, we're talking about the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So it's Sunday evening now. It's the evening of that first day. And this is what happens here. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any. They have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. 
Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There at the very end, that's the point I've been stressing throughout our studies. That's the purpose of John's gospel, so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you may understand and know that you have eternal life. And so that's where that comes from. So let's go back to the very beginning. So here again is John writing us the account of Jesus' appearance to all the disciples now. Earlier we read, or last week we read, he appeared to Peter and John, and then to Mary and some of the other women. And that's all. Well, actually, he hasn't even appeared to Peter and John. Let me back up. He's only really appeared to the women. And one of the other gospels that said he appeared to not only Mary, but to the other women. So that's all who's seen him so far on that day. On that Sunday. Actually, let me back up again. Now I'm thinking there is somebody else that's seen him. The people that were on the road to Emmaus. That was happening during the middle of the day on Sunday. So you got to take all these Gospels and put them together. It's like a investigative reporting here. But so the, the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, they have also seen him. And that's it. So that's what's going on here again. Back in verse 19 now. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors were shut when the, where the disciples were. So again, the setting is the evening of the first day of the week. Jesus had risen from the dead that morning. And again, that was recorded in verses 1 through 18. Now, the disciples, it says, were behind closed doors. Why were they behind the closed doors? According to John, he says they were there because they feared the Jews. And it wasn't the Jewish nation they were fearing. It was the Jewish religious leaders. Why? Because they were the disciples of the Lord. The Lord had been crucified. They were still afraid that they might come after them as well. So they were behind the closed doors. Them, not just the 11. uh, There was only actually 10 disciples. Because Judas at this time had hung himself. And as we learn later in this chapter, Thomas isn't there. So there's the ten disciples. There's the two disciples that have come from the road uh, on Timaeus that have come back. Because in Luke chapter 24, it says they, remember, they went back. Actually, let's look at that because it's interesting. This is the parallel verse in Luke 24, verses 33 through 36. Look at what this says. So if you remember the story, the two Men were walking to the road to Emmaus, and then Jesus comes up and starts talking to them and asks them, hey, what's going on, guys? And then Jesus reveals himself to them, and this is the end of that. And starting in verse uh, 33, right? It says, and they got up that very hour and returned returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven, those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experience on the road, how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and he said to them, peace be to you. So this is the two men on the road to Emmaus. This is the story of the same one in John that's told to us in Luke. So they're all there. And Jesus finally appears. The only one that's not there again is Thomas. So that's the setting. So what is the message That John is telling us that Jesus gave to his disciples. Let's look at the end of verse 19 in our text. And I said, this is one of those uh, three things that I want to highlight. Remember, peace, belief, and testify. If you notice, Jesus said, peace be with you three times. So it's very important 
according to John. He recorded this in verse 19. So Jesus stands in the midst of the disciples and says to them, peace be with you. Now, why is Jesus offering them peace? Well, there's a couple of things. What are they afraid of? First, they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. So Jesus is telling them, first of all, peace. Don't be afraid of the Jewish leaders. He's trying to calm them down for that purpose, first of all. Not only that, Jesus has just appeared to them and the doors were locked. Again, going to John's or uh, going to the Gospel of Luke, turn back with me for one second here. Look at what happens in Luke 24, verses 39 and 40, because Luke gives us a little more detail on this. He says this in Luke 24, verse 39. So actually start in verse 37. It says, but they were startled and frightened, though, and thought that they were seeing a spirit. So they know Jesus has died. He's, they don't know where the body is. Again, only Mary has seen him and the two uh, guys on the road to Emmaus, and the rest of them were frightened, right? They thought they were seeing a spirit, it says. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet. That is, it is I myself. Touch me and see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So again, the reason he's saying peace be with you is really twofold. One, don't be afraid of the Jewish leaders anymore because I'm here. And secondly, don't be afraid that I'm a ghost. I'm real. I have flesh and, and bones. Look at the the nail, the, the, the holes in my hands and my feet and my side. Again, he's going to say this again to Thomas. But for those that are there right now, he wants them to leave. It's me. I'm really, really here. You should be at peace now. <clears throat> I like going back to Luke, if you just notice, in verse 41. It says, while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement. So they're so excited and they're overjoyed. And they can't believe this is really happening in the middle of it, Jesus says, have you anything to eat? I, w- I wonder on one level, it's to kind of like get them back. Like, hey, let's pull it back here. I don't know if you ever seen that. I was thinking when I was reading, I was thinking of that show. Um, National Treasure. Has anybody ever seen that? It's like I love that show. Um, there's a scene there where they've stolen the, uh, the Constitution of the United States. I think that's our Declaration of Independence. I'm sorry. Declaration of Independence. And the curator of the museum or the head official there, she's freaking out. And the guy's like, are you okay? And she's still freaking out. She's like, are you okay? She's still freaking out. And he goes, are you hungry? And then she snaps out of it. I just thought of that here in this instant. It's again, it's still like, hey, wake up. Hey, come back. You know, when somebody gets too overexcited, you have to like kind of smack them back into reality. And I just think that's a funny little detail there. Although Jesus was obviously hungry as well because he ate some some boiled fish as it continues. But the point is, the disciples were joyful. They were amazed. They were there was just a lot of emotion going on. And Jesus wants them to be at peace again. Don't be afraid. And know that I am real. I have flesh and bone. And so go back to our text now in John chapter 20. So the first message that Jesus has for them is peace be with you. And he says that to him, and those are the reasons why. 
And then in verse 20, and when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And so this is John's account of what happens in Luke. Look at verse 21, because this is the second time now that Jesus says, peace to you or peace be with you. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. So what is Jesus talking about here? This time, I think Jesus wants them to be at peace with the ministry that he is about to give them. Again, he wants them to be at peace, to be not to be afraid of the Jewish leaders, to be at peace that, hey, I'm not a ghost. This isn't a figment of your imagination. I'm not here to haunt you because you guys all abandoned me. That might be another reason why he wants to be at peace. Everything's okay. But you know what? I want you to be at peace because now I'm going to commission you to go out and testify about me. Go back to our text in verse 21. He says, peace with you as the father has sent me. I also send you. So here Jesus is going to recommission the disciples to go out and carry on the ministry. Despite all that's happened, Jesus still has a plan. This isn't the end. He's telling them, right? He's still going to ascend to heaven. The Holy Spirit's going to come down on him. And the disciples, if you read the book of Acts, will go out and spread the gospel. Jesus is going to use them to do that. So he needs them to be at peace because they will testify about him. And so what does it say next? Look at verse uh, 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a confusing verse. And you, you, because you might just look and go, yeah, it's okay, breathe on him the Holy Spirit. But also in Acts chapter 2, when does the Holy Spirit come and descend on them? Pentecost, which is 40 days from this point. So how can John say the Holy Spirit comes now and then 40 days from now? Is there two comings of the Holy Spirit and uh, to save time and, and a bunch of... Uh, different ideas just know that there's some various views on this and the one that i believe the most is that this is this is a a, is symbolic it's like an acted out parable and it's similar to what jesus does when he washes the feet of the disciples earlier in the gospel of john so i don't believe that the holy spirit is actually given to the disciples at this point i believe it happens at pentecost and so if you remember when jesus washed the feet of the disciples what did he tell them about the foot washing. Do you guys remember what he said to them? Well, it was a, I will tell you here, as soon as I find it in my notes. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to have to go from memory. That's going to be scary. <laughs> but in the, but in, when he's washing their feet, it wasn't that he was hey, saying, hey, this is what I'm just washing your feet. There was something behind it that he was meaning. Remember, he says, if if you don't let me wash you, you have none of me. And what does the apostle Peter say? That don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. It was like a foreshadowing of Jesus's cleansing of his disciples. And in the same way, many commentators believe that this is a foreshadowing of the Holy Spirit that is going to come upon them in 40 days now whether you buy that or not again we could debate that and it is debated between uh theologians but i believe that's a the better explanation than some of the other ones and again we don't have time to go through all the theories on this point but i think that's what's happening and we have to remember does john write every detail of everything that jesus did 
No. Remember, I had just read in John chapter 30, or it's not John, John 20, verse 30. He says, therefore, many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So there are many things that John or that Jesus did that John could have wrote about. But he has a specific purpose and he has to summarize some things. And unfortunately, we don't have the entire context of every situation that is recorded. Sometimes John just gives us a small summary. And so that's why we have to look at the other gospels and kind of pull together the entire story. And sometimes we're left with not knowing. Okay. So and I think this is one of those situations. But again, it's similar to that foreshadowing or that symbolism that Jesus performed and the foot washing with his disciples. So I don't know if you buy that or not, but we're going to move forward because we don't have time to go through all those things. But for those of you that like to talk, I know the men will talk about it on Saturday. So uh, the men have homework now to go find out all the other ideas that are out there about that. Okay, so Jesus is recommissioning them. He's telling them that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. What is going to be their ministry? Look at verse 21 again. Excuse me, verse 22. Here's what he says. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. What is he talking about here? Again, I think he's summarizing a message to the disciples about their ministry. And it's not just the ten disciples that are there. Because the women are there, the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus were there. So it's kind of a universal message to all believers, not specifically tied to the the apostles. Because, again, Thomas wasn't there, so it wasn't given to him. So it's a general message. Well, what does it mean? Does it mean that we have the ability to tell somebody, hey, your sins are forgiven if you confess them to me? Like some churches would say, hey, if you go and confess your sins and that father... He forgives all your sins. You don't have to worry about it. Is that what he's talking about? Because some churches have used this text in that way. That's not what he's saying. So for a second here, turn back to Luke 24. Again, as I've been saying, this is the parallel story, and it gives us a little more detail about what's going on. So Luke 24, let's start again, verse 46. He says, and he said to them, thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that and this is the the verse that's parallel and that repentance of forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you forth the promise of my father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. So it kind of gives you a broader understanding of what's going on here. This is just the message of the gospel that if it is received and believed, then your sins are forgiven. If you reject it, then your sins are not forgiven. And again, John is given a summary statement of that teaching. Again, in our text in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, They have been retained. And so that's the message that John is trying to convey to his reader. By extension, that's us. That again, this is the outcome of the preaching of the gospel. So again, you see peace being a big issue here or a big uh, 
point, and then this testifying. He wants his disciples to go out and testify about all that he has done. And so let's carry on now. Uh, back to our text. Look at verse 24 now. It says, but Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So look at verse 25 now. So the other disciples were saying to him, so now there's been a, a, a lapse in time and they have seen Thomas now. Look at what they tell Thomas. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, so here's Thomas's rebuttal to all of the stories in his eyes of what the disciples have said to him. Unless I see in his hands the imprint of his nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Now, before we disparage Thomas, let's remember that none of these other disciples believed either, did they? Peter saw the empty tomb we saw last week, and he went away bewildered and amazed, wondering what has happened. John went away believing, it says. Mary saw the empty tomb, saw everything they saw, and was still asking, where is my Lord? All these disciples in the house also did not believe yet. Until when? Until they saw Jesus. When did Thomas start believing? And we'll see when he saw Jesus. So they too doubted, just like Thomas. And, and again, unfortunately, Thomas is labeled as doubting Thomas. But every disciple doubted. Right? The empty tomb wasn't evidence enough. They actually had to see Jesus. And that's what Thomas is saying too. Unless I see him, he's like, I will not believe. So here again, the disciples are testifying to what they've seen. And Thomas is saying, I'm not going to believe it. So let's see what happens now. Verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. So the disciples now are back inside of the home. The doors are closed. And Jesus, it says, in verse uh, 26. Thomas was with them this time, and Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. This is the third time in this section of Scripture that John tells us that Jesus said, Peace be with you. Why again? Well, because probably Jesus now just appeared and the doors closed. What's going on there? Did Jesus, you know, just walk through the door when it was closed? Did he just materialize? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And before you say, well, that's just far fetched that Jesus could just walk through a door without it being open. Think about all the other things you've been asked to believe up to this point. Jesus just rose from the dead. Again, if he could rise from the dead, he can walk through a wall. And that shouldn't be hard to believe. I'm asking you and the John's asking you to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. If you believe Jesus rose from the dead, then walking through a wall isn't that hard to believe or a closed door. If that's what happened. So I know you might be thinking this is, you know, some might say, I don't believe that. I believe in the resurrection, but I don't believe he can walk through a door. And again, I mentioned this last week. I believe that God created the world out of nothing, but I don't believe he can do this. Do you see the the irony in that? I hope you do. Again, if you can believe that God created the heavens and the earth, then everything else contained in Scripture is pretty easy to believe. Again, he created out of nothing. All right, I won't belabor that point. But back to the text now. So Thomas now, we're dealing with Thomas. Jesus again says, peace be with you. 
piece of the disciples and maybe even Thomas now, because now Thomas is physically seeing the resurrected Lord. And look at what Jesus says to Thomas in verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. These are all the things that Thomas said that he wanted to do. Right. He wanted to put his finger in the imprints of the nails, put his hand in the side. And Jesus is standing before him and telling him. Thomas, here I am. If this is what you need to do to believe, then do it. But and he says, don't be unbelieving. It's almost a command, but you believe. Again, what did I say at the very beginning of the message? The three highlights or the three main points that John brings out. Peace, belief, and testify. So he said peace three times. He's asking them to believe in him. And here he tells Thomas, stop not believing and believe. And what does Thomas do? Verse 28. It's not recorded that Thomas actually did that. This is what's recorded. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He's believing now. He's seen the Lord and he is believing the Lord. Not only the Lord, he's like, you're my God. And it's not, you know, how some people use God's name in vain. He's not saying that. That's what Jehovah Witnesses would say about the sex. Oh, he's using it as an expletive. Oh, really? When he calls Jesus God, that's what he's saying. Then why didn't Jesus rebuke him and say, don't use the Lord's name in vain? No, Jesus, we're not told that he did that. Instead, he praises him. But let me point this out. If you've been here and you know the gospel of John that we've been talking about, isn't this what John has been trying to get us to? He's trying to get us that God came to understand that God came in the flesh in the man Christ Jesus, and here's the epitome of his entire writing, the capstone of it, so to speak. The apostle finally declares, my Lord and my God. Like John, that's what John's up. That's it. Look over. That's what I was trying to prove to everybody who's reading it. And look at what Jesus says to Thomas after this. This His response is this. Um, verse 29. So Jesus says to him, because you have seen me. So it would seem that Thomas didn't have to touch Jesus. He just saw him and he believed because you have seen me. You have believed with like a question mark. And Tom, you know, Tom, yeah, Thomas does. He says, blessed are those who did not see and yet believe. This is a promise here to all those who are reading the scripture at the time that, that you know, John wrote this book. And people are reading this story and by extension to you and me as well, because think about what he says. Blessed are those who did not see and yet believe each and every one of us in here that believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my God have not seen him. As much as we would like to see him, we haven't. And yet you believe. And God's saying, blessed are you. You're accepted by God. Happy are you because you do that. You know, last week, um, one of the little kids from a youth group was brought to me um, and they asked. um, And I'm trying to remember the story. um, She wants to know how we hear from God. Like, how do you hear God's voice? 
And I was like, okay, I think I got this. Uh, and I told her, well, we read God's word, and he speaks to us through there, you know, and we pray, and he speaks to us through our prayers. And she just looked at me like, you know, like, yeah, right. That's not the answer I wanted. Like, she wants to, ver- I think she verbally wants to know how to hear God, like she can hear her friends and her family and her mom and dad. And don't we want to do that as well? Don't we want to hear the Lord's voice? And don't we want to see him and touch him? But he's saying, hey, if you believe without doing all that, you're blessed. He's like, you believe without having to see the physical evidence of the resurrected body of Christ. All the disciples and everybody that we read about, they needed that. And he's saying those that don't need it are blessed, accepted by God and are happy. That's something that I I think sometimes we forget. Right. We're being asked by the apostle to believe all of these things that he's recorded. And Jesus says, if you do, you will be blessed. And maybe you're like, well, I don't feel blessed, you know, but really you are. You have eternal life. And guess one day when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe he'll say that you believed without having to see me. Without having to see my resurrected body, without seeing all the miracles without knowing all the answers about it, but you're blessed. Without, not, without having complete stories and complete sermons of my words, you believed me. And again, that's how John concludes verse 30 and 31. Look at this. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Right? He couldn't rewrite them all. He even says later in chapter 21, um, Verse 24, he says, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. So we don't have everything that Jesus did recorded in the Gospels, but we have enough. That's why John says. But these things, going back to chapter 20, verse 31, but these things have been written. What things? All the things that we've been reading about, church, the past 20 chapters. These things have been written so that what? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, just like Thomas did, and the disciples. That you may believe that Jesus is is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name he writes and testifies of these things that jesus did for us so that we may believe that jesus is the christ the messiah the son of god and he writes these things also so that we can believe him and know that we have eternal life this is the evidence that we get church this is it and it is enough and blessed are you if you believe these things and have not seen them. Now let me, I don't want to stop there with the evidence for the proof of God and all that. There's a lot of evidence out there. And some of us stop short of really truly, truly trying to discover it. Again, it, Thomas says, hey, I'm not going to believe it till I see it. He was presented with the evidence and he believed it. There are some people that even though they're presented with the evidence, they just refuse to believe. No matter what you tell them, they just refuse to believe for whatever reason. And I would say if you're searching for God, that the answers are out there. 
They're out there. But are you really searching? That's the first thing I would ask you. Do you really want to know the answer? Or do you just keep saying, well, that's not enough evidence? That's not enough evidence. I've told this story before. I used to have a guy that I worked with at my last job, and he would always say that. He's like, I'm going to stand before God and go, didn't have enough evidence. That's his defense. I don't want him to stand before God and say, I didn't have enough evidence. I mean, who am I to say that to God, first of all? When God says, look around you, the creation, the fact that you are alive today and that you breathe, that the world came from nothing, that's evidence enough that I exist. And there's answers to all these concerns and questions, especially now during the month of uh, March, during Easter. You're going to have all the society in general is going to be doubting the resurrection, doubting scripture, doubting that God is even real doubting that Jesus was ever a real person. All that's going to come out right now. And when you read those things, and I would say read them and then go get the answers because there are answers to all those things. And so again, John is telling us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This evidence is there for you. And so let's close now with just three points of application from this story this morning. And they're this, that Christ has commissioned to us or commands us or commissions us, I should say, the same three things that I started off with, peace, believe, and testify. First is this, is that Christ offers peace to each and every person. How? By reconciling us to God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul wrote this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what the Lord Jesus Christ had done, he's now reconciled us to the Father, and we have peace. That peace that Jesus was offering to his disciples is offered to us as well. We don't have to fear anything either. We have peace with God. We don't have to fear the wrath of God anymore because peace has been made between us and him if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, We no longer have to fear death, for Jesus has defeated it. In Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, not only did he defeat the power of sin and the results of it or the penalty of it, he defeated death itself. And I think one of the greatest scriptures that reminds us of that and gives us assurance is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 56. It says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. In verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Even though death is coming upon each and every one of us, and it's unknown to us to a certain extent, we don't have to fear it. We can face it in Christ with assurance that we are going to rise again. So we have peace peace with God. We should have peace in the face of death as well, that it has been defeated. So again, Christ has commissioned us to peace. And the second one is Christ has commissioned us to believe. Again, going back to our text, when the Apostle John summarized the mission of the disciples, what was it? It was to offer forgiveness of sins to those who believe. So that would be Christ's commission to us is to believe, just like he told um, Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believe. And if you believe, you will have forgiveness of sins. 
if you don't believe and you die in your sin, then you will not have forgiveness. Then you will have to fear death because you will have the wrath of God. So believe we are offered the forgiveness of sins. Not only that, we are promised that we are blessed because we believe without seeing. I like what the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 8. And this is similar to what John or Jesus said about a not seeing yet believing. 1 Peter 1, 8. Peter wrote this. There we go. He says this as he was writing to the this churches scattered. He says this. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's true about you and me as well. So Peter was writing to the early churches um, that were scattered abroad. And look at what he says. Let's read that again. And though you have not seen him, that's every one of us in here that believe, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him. Think of that. Each and every one of us loves Jesus Christ if we're a believer. We love somebody that we have not seen, that has never verbally talked to us. We've just heard testimony about him in scripture and we've experienced in some sense his working in our lives but we've never seen him we've never touched him we never held him but we love him it says because you believe in him but guess what one day we're going to get to do all that hold him touch him we're going to cling to him like mary did to him and last uh, last week's message we studied that but we're blessed even though we don't see him. I just, I can't get over that fact that one day when I see him, he's going to be like, you believed me without seeing me. That's, he's not that Jesus would say, that's crazy. But it is in a sense that we believe him without seeing him. How many of you believe things that you don't see? Not many of us. But we're believing the most important thing in our lives. I just think that's incredible. So Christ commands us peace to believe. And lastly, just like he was telling his disciples to testify, we too have been commissioned to testify about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to tell others about the resurrected Lord. One last verse and we'll, we'll close after this. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. This demonstrates to us that this commissioning wasn't just given to the apostles there or the people in the first century. Here the Apostle Paul is writing to another church, uh, the Corinthian church, and this is what he says to them. Chapter 5, verse 17 of Second Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone would mean anyone, right? Not just those people. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. How many of you heard that verse and said, yeah, that's me. I'm a new creature. But look what it says also about this new creature. And this is why you just never read one Bible verse. You read the context about what's going on. It's a good lesson for us. It says, now all these things are from God who reconciles us, the new creatures, to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of what? 
Reconciliation. What is that? Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, now counting their trespasses, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We are the ones supposed to be doing that. Therefore, look at verse 20. We are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are the ones that are testifying, along with the apostles in the first century and all the disciples and all the church for the last 2,000 years. And as long as we're allowed to live, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We represent him in this world. And we are supposed to give that message of reconciliation that man can be reconciled to God if you believe on him. Again, that's what John gave us, that summary statement about our sins being forgiven and not forgiven. And that's the message. That's the same ministry we have. Again, Christ commissions us to be at peace, to believe, and to testify. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you more for giving us enough evidence about you. Lord God, I pray that each and every person in this room would truly believe on